process of going through a, a new series. Um, it's actually a Bible overview where we're looking at the, <clears throat> the whole Bible, at least in two parts. So um, the first, the first se- section of our Bible overview, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the... <laughs> Uh, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament in terms of an overview, and <clears throat> that's going to be part one. And then at some point, probably later on in the year, we'll come back and pick up our Bible overview and do part two, which will be the New Testament. And so this first section is probably going to be about 12 more weeks, 14 weeks in total. So last week was our first week. This is our second week. If you're visiting, welcome. Um, to our Bible overview. <clears throat> and today, um, our topic is the fall. The fall. I wonder if you can give me some highs without it kind of ringing. I'll leave it to you, but it just sounds a bit cloudy, fellas. <clears throat> um, the fall. Hopefully, you guys who accessed the vine knew that we were going to be in chapter three because um, there was just a little post up there encouraging us to, to have a look at the whole book of Genesis, specifically chapter 3. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through Genesis. So our encouragement is that you'd be reading along with us through Genesis. So hopefully, um, we'll be tracking together. Amen. So, <clears throat> what shall I do? Before, before I show you a short video clip, and I, I know the guys have been working at giving me some sound. Before, before I show you this short video clip, um, Let's take an opportunity to pray, because I know I need it this afternoon. Um, Father, thank you that regardless of what we see, what we experience, what we taste, touch, and feel, thank you that you call us as your people to walk by faith and not by our senses. The scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. A sight is a sense. And um, Father, sometimes it's real hard to do that because like Peter, we look at the wind and the waves and we're in the boat and it's sinking and we feel like it's, our whole lives are, are collapsing. And, and, and Lord, sometimes that is true, yet we're grateful um, that Father Jesus is in the boat, as it were. And um, thank you that your commitment to us as your people um, is never in question. And so, Lord, today, even as we look at a real contrast between two um, what seem like opposing perspectives, Lord, we ask that you'd help us. And we're grateful that you do because you've given us your word, which, which clearly, Lord, helpfully, with clarity, gives us perspective. Lord, even when um, things seem like they're going crazy, we can trust that you're in complete control. And so we thank you for that this afternoon in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So, as, 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 as I get ready to show you this clip, we have, um, last week we were, we were looking at creation. I mean, it's a good place to start, right? We're looking at creation and the world, the world, the way that God designed it to be, right? The way the world that God designed it to be, but how many of you know there was a bit of a problem? So, <clears throat> Have a look at this clip, and then I'll come back to you in a moment. Good morning, 
that train. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, Mr. O'Malley, O'Malley, you know how the Irish go between. They're out there. Special song going out to you right now. Now, I suspect that most of you have seen that film or at least heard of that film. Um, Good morning, Vietnam, right? <clears throat> and did you, did you see and hear the contrast? Guns, fighting, killing, napalm. Yet the words of the song were the complete opposite, complete contrast, talking about, I see, I see fields of green. I'm saying, who, who sing that song? I can't remember. Who's Louis Armstrong. I'm saying, and what a contrast. <clears throat> and it's funny because we see that contrast, two complete opposites, um, and both are extremes, yet both are true at the same time. A wonderful world is fallen. Wonder, beauty, peace, tranquility, serenity, life, we saw last week. Now going to be contrast with pain and hurt and devastation and destruction and death. <clears throat> Today, as our title describes, we're looking at Genesis 3, um, the 4. Now, our topic today falls into the second section of of our, our basic storyline of the Bible. Now, do you remember we're saying that the Bible is, is one book, right? It's one story, although it's 
66 books is one book, right? Although it's Old and New Testament, two big books, it's actually still one book, right? It's two parts of the same story. And <clears throat> if you like, there's, there's one overarching, um, there's one author, there's one overarching um, s- story, and there's one fundamental message. It's one book. And what is the message of this book? I said last week that it's God's plan of salvation that he achieves through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's beautiful because immediately we begin to see the light contrasted against the darkness. Right? And we talked about the Old Testament was the promise with reference to the Lord Jesus coming and making all things well. And in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment. Again, it's one story. And just to remind us that not only is it one book, one author, one message, it's about one particular person, and it's the Lord Jesus. And we heard last week, even from his own lips, in John 5, Jesus said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And in Luke 24, everything written about me, where? In the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Can you hear from the lips of Jesus exactly the point that the whole Bible is about him? Whenever you look at your Bible, that's what we want you to be thinking. The Bible is about Jesus, fundamentally. Now, remember... We said that we could summarize the Bible in four words. We said it's creation, fall, which is what we're looking at, redemption, and recreation. Actually, the fall is going to slightly kiss and touch redemption today, um, as we'll see, hopefully, in a moment. And we suggested that the fall, if you like, in in, in relation to creation is a step down. You can see that, right? And we had another picture, I don't have it this week, um, that, 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 that vis- visibly indicated that. A step down from that which is ideal, actually. So it's, 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 uh, that's an understatement. It's actually greater than a step down. <clears throat> and with regards to the fall, you might say, well, fall, like, fall, fall away from what? Well... <clears throat> What we saw was the, the last time the creation functioned in perfect harmony on every level, and Vaughan Roberts called this the pattern of the kingdom. We saw God's people at Adam and Eve, in God's place in the garden, under God's rule, which was his word, and enjoying his blessing, which was fleshed out in perfect relationships. This is the world, the way that God designed it to be. Therefore, the fall is... Is creation moving away from God's perfect pattern to a lower, lesser state of existence, which, is a, which as a result ends in disastrous circumstances with eternal consequences. What we're doing is we're, we're looking at the storyline in the Bible, but this is fundamentally everybody's story. This is a story that, that no one, like excluding anybody, can't relate to. This is our story. And it makes sense, as I mentioned initially and even prayed, of the madness that we confront on a daily basis. And it seems to be getting worse, right? The madness. So, 
The fall speaks about how God's creation is spoiled, and we're going to look at this under four headings um, as we walk through um, chapter 3 today. We're going to look at the serpent, the sin, the sentence, and the Savior. Hopefully you're in Genesis 3. And I got a little, I got a little strap line as we jump into this first part that is looking at the serpent from verse 1 to 5. I like subheadings because they really help me. <laughs> kind of help us to see really what's going on before we get there. Um, I've called this the tripwire that influenced the fall. And I must say, much of, of, of what I've been um, sharing and will be sharing comes from this book by Vaughan Roberts called God's Big, God's Big Picture. So if you get, I think last week is funny, I, as, as I began to share, someone at the end of the service said, oh, my wife actually bought this for me last week. And um, so that was an, an encouragement. Um, but if you haven't got it, I'd recommend that you get this book. So Genesis chapter 3, verse, um, let's read verse 1 to 5. The tripwire that influenced the fall. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you, eat, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Brothers, as big as you take some of the middle out for me. Thank you. Now, maybe after listening to this text, especially if you're hearing it for the first time, and that's one of the, the challenges of, of teaching God's word, we know that different people are on different levels, and some of you guys will be like, oh, yeah, man, I heard this like so many times, like, even to the point where you kind of switch off, you know what I mean? And, but then again, maybe not, because depending on the translation you have, I'm actually reading from the NIV, which we don't normally do, so maybe you didn't switch off, and you're... <laughs> but maybe this is the first time you're even hearing anything like this with reference to Genesis and the Bible and the beginning. <clears throat> but maybe after hearing this, Wherever you may be, you might have a few things that come to mind. A talking snake, you know. What, who, you know what I'm saying, is this serpent? Where did it come from? Where did he come from? If you, if you closely were analyzing the text. Um, remember, when we look back, you know what I'm saying, at particularly a historical document that, was, that makes reference to something that took place in the past... We look at it from a particular perspective and with a specific mindset, depending on our experiences, what we've heard, seen, what we've been exposed to. <clears throat> we are probably approximately 6,000 years removed from this event. And one of the questions could be, would Adam and Eve have looked at this scene the same way that we would? See, much of, much of this probably wouldn't have seemed as abnormal to them as it does to us, is I think the point I'm trying to make. It's not, it's, this isn't necessarily unusual for Adam and Eve. 
but it possibly is for us. And, and that's the point, because it's that which we have fallen from. We've got, we got two humans, think about it, we've got two humans in our story that were created mature. They can't, they, they can't pull out their photo album, you know what I'm saying, of when they were kids. All right? Yeah, exactly. They ain't no year, year, year 11 pictures, you know what I'm saying? They're getting expensive, innit, them pictures from school? More and more expensive as time goes by. We've got two humans that are walking around naked. Now, some would say, wow, that sounds like a great thing, you know what I'm saying? But, um, but most of us would say that's a bit unusual. But it was not unusual for them at the time. In this environment, you've got God, not metaphorically, but literally walking and talking to, to Adam and Eve. They could, they could hear God speak audibly. With those things in mind, now here comes the talking snake. It doesn't sound as ridiculous and as far-fetched when you put it in a little bit of context, right? I mean, Eve, did she even look phased in the slightest? When the serpent began to speak to you, you'd think, oh my gosh, she would respond by shock and horror and amazement. Mm -mm, it's not there, is it? And one of the questions could, that could be asked is, and this is conjecture, don't quote me. Could it be possible that it was quite normal and common for the animals to communicate with humans then? And I mean, I know that you read in the book of Isaiah, talking about the future, there's going to be a real difference to the way that animals relate to animals. The lion's going to lie down with a lamb, where normally the lion would, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So there's something, there's something about the time that we live in in comparison to the beginning and to the way it will be, you know what I'm saying? So, and what we tend to do is we look at things from our perspective and feel like, oh, our judgment is critical to the point where everything must be based on the way I see things, surely. <laughs> Foolishly, right? In a moment, we will see an angel standing guard at the entrance of the garden. In the garden, we see two trees. A tree that is associated with the knowledge of good and evil. And you've got to remember, at, that, at this point, what is evil? I mean, we look back with a a perspective. But what was Eve, did, did Eve have, even have any appreciation for that word? You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and <clears throat> do, you know, do you know often you're not aware of what you don't know? <laughs> it stands to reason, right? And um, we are more aware of what we don't know living in our times. I can't remember what they call it. What do they call it? Um, comprehend, competent, competent incompetency is when you know that you don't know something. You know what I'm saying? So you go to Google, right? <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so, and, and, and in, in, in as Adam and Eve, in one sense, are not the same until the serpent begins to introduce stuff that causes them to think, oh, maybe there's something I don't know. Do you get my point? And often we can be obsessed with knowledge sometimes over the things that are really important, like life. Um, it's like, which tree, if you were in the garden, would you have deemed more important? I mean, they're here, they're here fooling around the tree of knowledge, 
I mean, that's not the only tree that's in the garden. Apart from all of the other trees, there's the tree of life, right? Which would you have been fooling around? And the thing is, all the knowledge in the world, I mean, you find yourself often at the tree of knowledge in a sense. You know what I'm saying? You could have that Encyclopedia Britannica. You remember that? <clears throat> Google, as I mentioned, you know what I'm saying? It's like Apple, the understanding that they have. I mean, how did it help Steve Jobs? The man still ended up dying prematurely, it could be said. You know what I'm saying? We give Adam and Eve a tough time. It's hard, I would think, not to notice this tree. Why? Where's the tree located in the garden? It's in the middle. Have you ever thought about that? That's what the text says. It's in the middle of the garden. Like, no matter where you go, like, you, that tree's like, calling you. you, know what I mean? where are you? Is, it not, is it any great surprise they find themselves fooling around this tree? But then, as I said, the other tree, the tree associated with life. And, um, and we know that it's not an apple tree, because that's not what the text says. We don't know what type of tree it is. And, um, and this tree, the tree of life, with no understanding of death, can they fully understand what the tree of life is all about? Do you know what I'm saying? And, um, and, and, and today, this is why I'm saying the way we look at things is so completely different. Everyone's trying to find the elixir of life. And I'm saying everyone's trying to <laughs> extend their life, with, whether it's plastic surgery or you name it. You know what I'm saying? And it's funny because I was thinking about, about the, 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 the hunt for the holy grail that will provide life. And have you guys ever, ever watched all these old films. You ever watched um, the, the Indiana Jones series? Okay, then. Um, I can't say I'm, I'm an avid fan, so I, when I, I can't really get in there with you like that. But I remember the last one. Um, in the last one, you have um, Indiana Jones, and they're searching for this, um, this holy grail. And I thought, let me just have a look at a clip. I looked at a clip, and I was really amazed to see that they found themselves appreciative of the tree of life to some degree. And this will probably make more sense in a couple of weeks' time. But what they do is, what Indiana Jones and these, they find this space where the Holy Grail is, if you've seen this, the film. And they've got all of these goblets, and they're golden and diamond-encrusted and different shapes and sizes. And this greedy man bowls in there first, and he tries to find it. And he picks up one of them and he goes to the fountain of life, gets the water, drinks it, and he shrivels up and kind of, you know what I'm saying? He turns to dust and dies. He picked the wrong goblet. And then there's, there's this knight from, I don't know where he's from, some knight from the round table. He's there perpetually guarding something. And he's like, oh, you made the wrong choice. You know what I'm saying? And, and then my man, um, what's his name? Harrison Ford in the film, um, Indiana Jones, he, he looks and he's rifling and he finds this cup and it's the cup that's the most understated one. And he looks at it and he goes, oh, he goes, look, the carpenter's cup, referring to Jesus. And it's a simple old kind of clay pot and he gets it and that's, that's the one, you know what I'm saying? It's, it, that's where you find life and there's a reference back to Jesus. I've just thought that was quite interesting. My point is, we look back at this story and we see it maybe in a way that they didn't. And in order for us to really understand the story, let's try not to see it 
through our jaded perspective. Do you know what I'm saying? And like we said last week, if, if, you, if, if, you're not, if you don't struggle with Genesis 1 verse 1, you won't struggle with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this garden scene is probably much more mysterious for us than it was for Adam and Eve. And there's much that takes place in the garden that will remain a mystery. You know what I'm saying? At least until it's revealed by God at some point in the future. You know, we reference all the time when we get home, that is heaven. Like we'll be able to pull out the Blu-ray. We're on Blu-ray now. Back in the day mm. when we used to talk about it, we said, pull out the video. Uh-uh. Them days are done, right? Pull out the Blu-ray. Ain't even that nice. All downloading. You know, who, who uses Blu-ray? But anyway, it's going to be in 4K. They, they, got better, they got better than 4K now. They got, you know they got 8K? Um, but we'll be able to watch it in 3D, high definition. It'll probably be like virtual reality. You know when you put them glasses on and it feels like you're there. Have you seen them adverts on telly now? The people with the glasses on, they're jumping, they're scared. And, you know what I'm saying? Because you feel like you're in it. I don't know. But we'll be able to see with clarity what happened in the garden. At some point, I'm sure. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> Deuteronomy 29, 29, I always find it helpful. Easy to remember. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And there's stuff that we just are not going to fully understand. I'm saying, and I think it's, it's, it's a sign of humility to be able to say, for real. You know what I mean? Um, so people say, oh, there's no God. In order for, like, I heard Pastor E said this a couple of weeks ago. For you to say there's no God, Really? You'd have to seek out the whole universe and then come back and say, oh, yeah, I checked. There's no, it's like saying there's no, tea, like there's no tea in China. You have to go throughout every single field. I'm, to be, I'm saying it's, it's, it's humble. It's, it's righteous. It's fair to be at that place where you just say, you know, there's some, there's some things I just won't understand. I just won't know. That's, you know. That actually is a healthy place to be. And then this whole thing about what or who is this serpent and where did it come from? Well, personally, I believe that it's a literal serpent, snake, um, who we've said possibly, you know what I'm saying, could have communicated uh, or obviously communicated. And we know that the devil um, can possess and influence humans and also um, animals as a vehicle for his purposes. Now, in terms of humans, we know that Judas, you know what I'm saying, the son of perdition, um, and others were possessed in the scriptures by spirits, right? Um, therefore, the only surprise here is, is the devil is embodying and is, is, is influencing and utilizing the body of an animal. And even that shouldn't be a surprise for us because in Luke chapter 8, do you remember the story about Jesus and the demoniac cast out the spirit's legion into the, into the pigs, remember? Yeah. And pigs were possessed by the spirit to the point where they lose, lost their mind, run down into, into the thing and drowned themselves, right? And, um, and then there's another story in Numbers 22 where rather than being possessed by a demon spirit, we see a donkey speak. You know what I mean? And again, this, this sounds great and you know, weird and wonderful, but in the context of a God that can do all things, you know what I'm saying, this shouldn't be surprising. Unless we're going to say, well, we don't believe in anything that's spiritual. You know what I mean? And 
I think we are all spiritual fundamentally when you boil it down to it. You know what I'm saying? Let's see how you, how you function when you watch a horror film and you've got to go to bed at night time. And it's you one in the house, right? It's all right. There's no atheists. There is, so, there is no such thing as an atheist. So, <clears throat> this is the big point. The big point is, whereas everything and everyone up to this point, considering last week, is submitted to God, all of a sudden now, we're seeing the opposite. I'm saying. We see this serpent. Think, now think about this. A serpent that is the animal, right? If it's a serpent. Is it, come, yeah, it, it's an animal, right? Unlike a bird. Sorry, my mind just went. Because you know something? Yeah. He's an animal, right? He's a creature, right? And this creature, very unusually, is not under the rule of God. It's, this is weird. Contrasted with what we looked at last week. Everything's under the rule of God. But, and then, and and the serpent's going to experience the repercussions of that later on in verse 14. And the second thing is we see Satan, which is very, very distinct from the serpent that is the animal, the creature, the snake. Right? And Satan, he evidently isn't under the rule of God. Furthermore, he's actually working against God but what? In this perfect environment. Now, I'm going to share a view on the devil. Pastor E done an incredible job a few weeks ago, just before Christmas. It was actually 11th of December. And when he preached in our sermon leading up to Christmas about hell, the birth of the dragon slayer, speaking about Jesus. Now, that was so, it was so great he did that because he did a lot of what I don't have to do today. And I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't heard that, to listen to that, especially as it relates to Genesis 3. <clears throat> um, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to... Do, now, there are a few views. I'm going to share one of them. Um, that is, like, the question was earlier, where, like, where, did you, where, did, where did you come from? You know what I'm saying? Where did you come from all of a sudden in this great tranquil garden causing drama, right? So, <clears throat> just a few verses. Ezekiel... Um, 28 says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, note that ruler, um, this is what the sovereign Lord says, in the pride of your heart, you say, I am a God, I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas, but the response is, but you are a man and not a God, though you think you, though, though you think you are as wise as a God. Now, the next verse begins a contrast. If you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't look carefully, you miss it, right? This verse 1 to, 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 to 2 is talking about someone's human, someone who's human. But watch this shift now in terms of who is being spoken to in verse 12 of that same chapter. Son of man, take up a lament concerning now the king of Tyre. Now, what, what, did, what did we say? What did I ask you to note before? Remember, it was the ruler of Tyre. This is now the king of Tyre, and they're very distinct in the Hebrew, right, in the original writing. And say to him, it seems like this is a different person, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Yo, I mean, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, that's quite a heavy description. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious... Wait a minute, you were where? I mean, wait a minute. 
So, the Garden of Eden. Who is in the Garden of Eden as far as we know? Adam, Eve, God, and the serpent, slash Satan. We don't know anyone else that was in the garden, yet this is referencing someone who was in the garden. Not just, not, no, it's not just the garden, but the Garden of Eden. You see that? Every precious stone, further description, every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountains were made of gold on the day you were what? So whatever this thing is, you know what I'm saying, is still a part of the creation that is, you know what I'm saying, it's not, it's beneath God, should be submitted to God, you know what I'm saying, should honor God, right? Um... As far as when they were created, um, they were prepared. Verse 14, you were anointed as a guardian cherub. I think another translation says anointed cherub or um, covering cherub. Now, you know what a cherub is, right? Like often, in terms of the language, we think about a little baby like, like we just had um, Valentine's, right? I hope you, hope you guys bought flowers for your wife. You, know? you see this little fat baby with an arrow and... What's, it, what's what they call him? My mind's Cupid. Well, you think of a cherub, that's what you're a little fat baby angel with some little tiny little wings, you know what I mean, that couldn't even fly, fly, right? <laughs> but cherub, you know what I'm saying, is, is, is pretty much the word for cherubim, you know what I'm saying? We're talking about, we're talking about incredibly um, uh, um, impressive angelic beings. You know, like, like, I'm, I'm, like when you see regular angels turn up in the Bible, like people hit the deck, like faint, collapse. You know what I mean? Let alone what could be described as an, like another order of angel, not just an angel, a cherub, a cherubim, one who covers or is a guardian cherub. You know what I'm saying? For so I had ordained you, you were on the holy mount of God. Oy. You walked among the fiery stones. Hmm bit of revelation there. Um, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, and it goes on, verse 17. Well, actually, let me read it. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So what did I do? I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Now, the suggestion is this could well be a description of the prehistoric Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Isaiah 14, in contrast to Ezekiel, says, how you are fallen from heaven. Now, do you remember we just read that he, this individual was thrown down to the earth? Now, Isaiah says, how you, have, you are fallen from heaven. Could it be a description of the same person? Oh, day star. Now, if you know anything about the... Now, we jump from, from Genesis to Revelation. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, Jesus is holding two things. What's he holding? In one hand, he's holding the seven candlesticks and in the other hand he's holding the seven stars what are the seven candlesticks golden candlesticks the seven churches and what are the seven stars 
seven angels. And here, there's this reference to old day star. Son of the dawn, or son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. Why? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. Now notice all the eyes, right? I will set my throne on high. I will, set, will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Yo, I mean, that person really thinks a lot of themselves. They are going to make themselves like the most high. And then, as Pastor E mentioned, and just to tie this, this up, and again, listen to what he shared, because I've left a lot out. <clears throat> Revelation 12, verse 7 through 9, kind of ties it all up, I would argue. Again, it's just a view. Verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his what? Angels fought against the dragon. Now, who's this dragon? And the dragon and his angels mm, fought back. So you've got some holy angels warring, right? Verse 8, but he was not strong enough, that is the dragon, and they lost their place in heaven. Verse 9, the great dragon was hurled where? Down. I'm, I'm sure there's some consistency here. That ancient what? Ancient. Serpent, would it be unfair to suggest that ancient means long time ago and serpent means snake? <laughs> and who's he called? Okay, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, there it is again, and his angels with him. He leads the whole world astray, and we're going to see today where it began. It's not surprising that the devil chose a serpent to possess. How many of you know snakes are subtle? They're crafty. They're sneaky. They're slimy, right? They're, and they're poisonous. Under the serpent strategy, because remember we're talking about this, the first point, right? So, under the serpent's strategy, he does three things. <clears throat> First thing he does in verse 1 is questioning. Questioning. He's like, did God say? He's encouraging Eve to ask the question. It's very subtle, very sneaky. And the raising of a question, if you like, injects... A certain amount of skepticism. That's what, that's what it introduces, right? It's not a direct contradiction, but the suggestion of challenge or an alternative possibility. And it's too, it's crazy, it's so deep. It's upsetting, but at the same time, it's mildly flattering. Why? It's upsetting because Eve could respond by saying, um, he could be saying to Eve, are you sure? Are you, really, are you really sure what you heard? And you could be offended. You can be like, what do you mean? Of course I, knew what I, heard. Of course I, I know what I heard. I know what I heard. This is what I heard. I mean, but she didn't because obviously she didn't recount it correctly. But can you see how this could be upsetting and offending? But at the same time, it can be mildly flattering because a part of asking a question is, is like saying, you have the privilege of weighing things up. And I'm saying, like, did God really say 
you wait up. You're a smart girl, Eve. And I'm saying, you can figure this out. And with, with the, if, if, the, if, if the character of this individual is anything that we just read in Isaiah and Ezekiel, you could see he, he's already saying, I'm, I'm going to do this for myself. I, uh, he's going to encourage the next person to do the same. Can you see that? Questioning. It sneaks in the assumption that we may stand in judgment of God's word. So like, 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 what's your evaluation of the issue? <laughs> Sounds very much like the eyes, the me, 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 the my, my, my's. You know, smart people are smart. They can make a suggestion to you and make you think you thought of it. You walk away thinking, yeah, man, that's, I think this is what I should do. Thinking you come up with it. You never come up with it. It's slick. <clears throat> the second thing is exaggeration. Exaggeration. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The, in the inference is, man, God is a real killjoy. I'm saying it's like, and on that basis, you have a right to rebel. I'm saying it's like, what's this? What's the deal with you can't eat from that tree? Why not? We just, we just, we just, we just concluded that you can make decisions for yourself. You can weigh stuff up, and you can determine what is right or what is wrong. How dare someone prevent you from accessing that tree? And I'm saying, you must not eat from that tree. How dare he, Eve? And the next step is, don't listen to that. There's going to be no judgment. I'm saying, it's like, he's trying, to, he's trying to keep something from you, Eve. That's what's really going on here. And I'm saying, and the devil slowly begins to remove all of the sanctions, remove all the penalties, remove all of the consequences. And now it's safe for you to trespass. And I'm saying, it's like, look, there you go. The tree's yours. Access it. You know, that back in my day, you know, if, 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 they, if someone had a piece of land they didn't want you to access, have a big sign saying, no trespassing. And I'm saying, we don't really use that word nowadays, it seems. We do? <laughs> and I mean, and, but, but, but it's, it's the word that means you can't cross the line. Like, no entry. Right? You're not allowed in here. And, that's, and, 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 and pretty much what it's talking about is, is crossing the line which the Bible identifies as breaking a law that you didn't make, you need to keep. And if you transgress it, if you trespass, you've sinned. That's why we pray, Father, forgive us our trespasses, right? <clears throat> Can you see what he's doing? And... In terms of our biblical theology, now when you kind of throw out words like that, people tend to kind of switch off. Don't switch off. Uh, this is what we're doing. We're doing biblical theology. When you talk about things like predestination, and I'm saying you start talking about election, you start talking about um, um, propitiation, don't switch off. And I'm saying, like, this stuff is so vital to who you are as a Christian. Without a clear understanding of it, you probably end up in trouble. You know what I mean? What we're doing is, is a biblical theology, and that is lots of little stories, which is what we're trying to help us to appreciate. 
lots of little stories in the Bible that point to, that help to us to understand the, 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 the big story. And <clears throat> it's a little bit like, you know, I hesitate to tell this because it's going to eat up my time, but it would be so helpful. Um, you know, let me leave it. I'll go against my bit of judgment. No, I'll go against my bad judgment that I'm not, yeah, and, and maybe do the opposite for once. Um, <clears throat> you have got this, this, oh, I, did, I never put that one up, did I? Contradiction. Yeah, I should have put that one up. You have got um, this thing that theologians call the serpent motif. And this serpent motif is basically a, represent, a representation of Something that's in the Old Testament reflected on in the New Testament that when you put the two together give you a clear picture that each of them on their own don't provide. So, the story that I would have told would have helped this, but I think we can get it, right? The serpent motif. The representation of Satan as a serpent makes the idea of Moses saving Israel by lifting up a bronze serpent all the more provocative. Do you guys remember that story? The, people, the children of Israel are in the wilderness and they get bit, getting bitten by snakes. And everyone's dying and they start bawling out to Moses. And Moses says, okay, God speaks to Moses. Moses says, okay, we're going to get a, a bronze stick and then we're going to put what on it? A, a, a serpent on it, made of bronze. And he puts this serpent on there and he says to everybody, look at this, the serpent on the stick, lift it up and you'll be what? You'll be healed because they were all getting bitten and they were dying, right? This is actually a story. Like I'm trying to convince you. This is, like, this is actually a story in, the, in Numbers 22. Now, what's the symbol for the National Health Service? It's the serpent. The sa- look at the ambulances. Look at the nurses. You know, it's that same serpent on a stick. Why? Because that serpent on the stick talks, speaks about healing. That's why the health service. So, reading on, it says, especially when Jesus identifies himself with that very serpent in John 3. This is because in this picture, the serpent, a personification of sin and rebellion, is made of... Because that's why the the people were getting stung, because they were rebelling. He says, a personification of sin is made of bronze, a metal associated with judgment, since it's made with fire. The lifting of a bronze serpent is the lifting up of sin judged in the form of a cross. Because remember, Jesus said in John 3... As the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. You see the two stories, and when you correlate them, and when you look to Jesus, guess what? You will be healed. You'll be healed from the sting of the serpent. You'll be healed from the poison, the venom, and it will bring life. Now, how did Eve know what God said? Now, we could spend a lot of time on this, and I can't. Um, But in Genesis 2, because we don't see God speak to Eve specifically and say, Eve, you mustn't eat from the fruit of the tree. Who do we see God give that directive to? Adam, Genesis 2. And the Lord God commanded the man. I'm not even sure at this point Eve's even created. You are... Free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now, the devil, didn't, he failed to tell Eve that, innit? 
you focused on, oh, you can't eat from this tree. What about the holy part of trees you could eat from, that you could eat from? Anyway, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And you could put that in the bank. And I'm saying, because that's God's word. So, <clears throat> therefore, therefore it is Adam, not Eve, who bears the responsibility for the fall of the human race and for the introduction of death into the created order. Eve was tricked into sinning. Adam, Adam knew exactly what he was doing. And what I'm trying to preface without getting into too much detail is <clears throat> Adam is known as the federal head of all creation. And Adam, when he made the mistake of sinning and then invoked that curse of death, every single individual now that comes from Adam is contaminated with this virus, if you like. And how do I know that? Watch. Easy, I can easy test. Put your hand up if you've never sinned. I'm not even going to wait for you. Because I know no one in here is going to put their hand up. You know what I'm saying? And there is proof for you that every single individual has been infected by this disease. And it works the world over. You know what I'm saying? Time immemorial. And, <clears throat> and the point is this. As soon as you're born you're infected. The Bible says that we go astray, where from? Not even a cradle, you know. From the womb, we go astray. And it's because we're infected. And, and te the, te the term that the Bible uses is, is because we are in Adam. We're in Adam. He's our federal head. Thank you, bro. And if you like, a, a, a really helpful way, a, a friend of ours called Duncan, who's a pastor over in Roehampton, has put this. He talks about being in Team Adam. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm a bit of a football fan, and I won't reference any particular team, especially mine, the way we're going on at the moment, right? <laughs> but when the striker scores a goal, how many of you know that you see, the, you see the goalkeeper jumping up and down? Everyone gets excited on the team, because when he scores, it's representative of the, like, the team scores. Hey. But the inverse is true. When somebody makes a mistake on the pitch and we let a goal in, how many of you know everyone on the team is affected? Like when Gerard, I said I weren't going to get specific, ain't my team. When Gerard slipped against Chelsea, where's Tim? Is Tim, hope Tim ain't here. Um, when he slipped, like Liverpool lost the title that season from, because of one slip, you know. Um... So, back, getting back to the point. If you're in Team Adam, whatever has happened with Adam is going to affect you. The only, the, only, the only other option is to get out of that team and get on another team. Like, get on a winning team. And it's Team Jesus. And you hear it, if you look for it, it's, the New Testament is replete with this term. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And you can't, and you'd be like, well, I don't want to play for any of them teams. Well, when you said that, you actually just picked a team. <laughs> so that's the sin. Oh, that's the, the serpent. Okay, now we're going to have to bullet point these now. Oh, wait a minute. 
you know what? Given the fact that this is a series and we ain't got a date for another series, I could actually put this over two weeks um, and kind of wrap this up now. I think that's what I'm going to do. So, um, question. With regards to this individual that we've identified as the serpent, it would be nothing other than sheer stupidity to think that you could take on this individual, maybe like Eve did. I mean, she took him on completely unwittingly. She never knew what she was getting involved in. You know what I'm saying? To, to consider that you as an individual, apart from the, the greatest story, of, we're talking about this big story, right? You know what I'm saying? The Bible is one story. This is the greatest story ever told. You know what I'm saying? And your story is actually a part of this story. And we love stories that come to a good ending, that come to a a glorious ending, a happy ending. Who likes stories that come to atrocious? And nobody does. You know what I'm saying? But the problem is, like we identified, God has created this world and it is wonderful, as Louis Armstrong sang. But at the same time, there's something that's come into this world that's infected it, that's affected it. And if you're honest, apart from the madness that goes on outside, in this world. I've been hearing about some madness going on in the country that I am from. In Jamaica. Where young girls are being taken and raped and murdered and then dismembered. Like on some mad regular, like on some regular basis. Even to the point where you've got like DJs and MCs who would normally talk about nonsense and slackness. Even they're saying, like wait a minute. I mean I think I sent some of you a video. Showing some of the artists saying, we can't, we can't, this, is, this has got to stop now. This is, far, this, is, this is past funny. You know what I mean? I'm saying, you look outside at what is, that's just one example of the madness that's going on. You know what I mean? And apart from what's going on outside, how, how about if you're, if, let me speak for myself. How about the stuff that goes on in my own heart? Apart from outside and blaming other people, you know what I'm saying, and you're the cause and you're the reason and I hate you because, how about when I look at my own heart? My heart sometimes, sometimes my heart's darker than what I see going on around the world. Some of the things that come up in my mind that I feel I'm tempted to do or tempted to say or I'm like, I'm, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, if you can't see that there's a problem, but you see... The, I've had, I've, I, I went to a funeral two weeks ago and myself and Pastor E were involved in presiding over a funeral in a week and a half's time. And every time I stand at the front, every time I'm in the last funeral I, I, I attended and I, I sat down and I watched what was going on, I thought, that person that I know, that I knew, is gone. They're dead But it's one of those, we don't want to talk about that as a topic. We want to talk about the fields of green, why, nah, nah. We, that's what we want. But 
To ignore the reality of death would, is, is nothing other than foolish. Why? Because the statistics still say that 10 out of 10 die. And I tell you, as I'm getting older, it's becoming more apparent to me. And so, I feel like the Bible gives us a very, very helpful insight as to what Guan, how this all started. You know what I mean? And I'd encourage you to, to, to join with us as we journey through the greatest story ever told from a biblical perspective, helping us to understand really not only who we are, but also coming to an appreciation of who God is. And at the same time, we're finding out who the devil is, right? Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.